My name is John Benitez. I'm one of the co-hosts. I'm joined by Dan Goldberg, who's a senior vice president of Warner Music, as well as a Brooklyn Law School alum, class of 2008. Dan, thank you again for taking time from your busy schedule and joining me in this short, but hopefully meaningful conversation. My pleasure. So I just want to start off first for our listeners, if you could briefly explain your position and what some of your responsibilities entail. Sure. I'm the senior vice president of the artist services team at Warner Music Group, which is our in-house merchandising, e-commerce experiences, and uh, digital marketing division. I operate in, I would say, a bit of a general management type role and capacity in that I oversee primarily our team's operations, marketing, and strategy, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 70 people across the world. I've been in uh, machinations of this role for, I would say, about the last nine years or so. Prior to that, I was a head of business development at Roadrunner Records, which is a hard rock and metal label that was later absorbed by Warner. Prior to that, I practiced very briefly, I would say maybe about six months or so after I graduated law school. My background in history is is somewhat interesting. I had worked on the business side of music prior to graduating law school. And once I was practicing, although I was enjoying it, there was an opportunity that came up to get back to the business side, which is why I... I moved away from working at a firm to moving into more of a, at the time it was more of a biz dev type of role. And that's effectively, that's probably about the last 10 years of my career. Awesome. Um, so I know you deal with marketing and fan engagement for artists that are in completely different genres. Is it difficult right. to market to and engage fans, not only here in the States, but abroad as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say marketing by genre is challenging inherently. I think to where you were going, territories are different as well. You know, what's going to work in Asia isn't necessarily going to work in Australia or, or Europe for, for a variety of reasons. One, potentially from a technology perspective, two, from a local compliance or law perspective in regards to what you're able to do versus what you're not able to do, and that every country has varying degrees of means at which you could communicate or track people from a cookie and a pixel perspective. And then finally, to where uh, I think how you started your question, every artist, irrespective of genre, wants to be treated separately and wants to be viewed as unique and and, and not just viewed, but are. They are unique and you have to market them each separately. There's not necessarily like a cookie cutter plan or ways to, to market every single artist. My primary focus is really more on the commercial side of our team from a merchandising perspective. So the same exists there. What potentially would work for a Cardi B from a merchandise perspective isn't going to necessarily work for Ed Sheeran. And more in an extreme way, what's going to work for a metal band isn't going to be the same that's going to work for a pop star. So you need to understand, A, who the artist is. How do you how do you find a way to create their vision into some sort of physical product and have it put out in a way that's, A, unique to them, but B, potentially different from who they believe to be their competitors? Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I, I just wanted to know because there's probably like a lot of moving parts to it. I can only imagine how difficult it is, but I imagine you have a great team that helps you accomplish all. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as I'm sure you'll all see at some point, you get to a place in your career where you're less involved in the day to day and you're more involved in, you know, higher level things, whether that's strategy or things of that nature. And you need a real team and you need, you know, an educated and strategic and smart team to be able to help you manifest your own 
strategy and figure out how to roll it out globally. Because to where you were going, not even just from a marketing perspective, from a commercial perspective, those same things exist in terms of what works in Europe product-wise might not work in the U.S., both in terms of product, but even in terms of categories and descriptions. A jumper, quote unquote, is a very normalized term in Europe for product that isn't so much here. And so actually understanding those differences matter. Understanding the fit and the size and the body types matter as well, both based on genre, but also based on geography. Just to pivot now, one of the biggest things that has taken storm over our lives is the pandemic. And I know it has affected how we do things in our normal lives, as well as industry, especially the music industry. Since the beginning of the pandemic, have you seen any permanent changes to product promotion or fan engagement, whether it's something you'd never done before the pandemic? And now because you had to do it for the pandemic, you're like, this is great. We're going to continue this on for years. Yeah, I would say I would say a few things, you know, as it relates to merchandising, you have certain artists that are very engaged and certain artists that have not historically been engaged. The pandemic for very obvious reasons has created a situation where we're all home. And by virtue of being home, we have potentially have time to do various things or, or different things. I never intended on what was my home gym to be my office. At the same time, I didn't actually realize how effective it would be to work in a space that I could easily hit something because I have boxing bags and everything everywhere. That won't change. But, you know, artists are home. Because artists are home, they're engaging in things that they haven't engaged in previously. So that could be anything from, you know, you have artists that have potentially historically, and I won't name names, but as it relates to product and merchandising, would give us no feedback or, or say things along the lines of just make me look cool, which is more common than you'd think. And as a, as a team that has to execute, create a vision is a nightmare. You, you want specific direction. So now you have artists home that are giving almost too much direction in some cases, but to maybe address what you're saying is I think it's significantly expedited the speed of normalizing live streams, which if you're following the music space, you'll see every artist are doing live streams now. Now, live streams have existed for years, but it was never commonplace. I don't think that goes away when the world gets back to, you know, quote unquote normal, whenever that may be. I don't think live streams are going to occur at the same frequency that they are now, but they're not going to go away. Because if I can have an artist that could sell 50,000 tickets and do six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars of merch in a live stream, and they could potentially do that two to three times a year, they're going to continue to do it because it's a significant amount of revenue and acquisition and engagement of fans. So I think that's probably the main thing I would say is that live streams will exist after this. So have you followed anything in the live stream space or seen anything? Yeah, honestly. So one of my things is I do Bands in Town, which is an app where they have music artists and you can check out who are coming in town or within a certain area. And then when the pandemic first occurred, it was just live streams, live streams, live streams, and, right. you know, attending some of those. I mean, I follow a couple artists on social media and that's all they're promoting is, oh, come check out this live stream. And they do awesome things with it. It's like a performance with lights in their living room. And it's just Yeah, incredible. I think what you're seeing now more is when it started, there was the element of, I'm just going to do it from my home and make it very personal. And then I think we saw relatively quickly 
they became professionalized to the degree now that the live streams, or at least some that I've been a part of, they're full shows with, with hundreds of thousands of dollars of production behind it versus how it started where it could have just been, you know, artist X on their couch playing a guitar or singing to the camera. There's a nicety associated with that and that personal touch at the same time. But I do think a lot of artists want to make it somewhat of a replica for a traditional show. I would, I would actually love to hear from you. Who have you seen? And, and if you can remember, and if any of them, anyone stand out specifically? So one of my favorite artists that I follow, his name is Kari. So he's a rapper, came out of Rhode Island. I think he's currently located in LA. And one of his things is, uh, or his catchphrase is like, this is weird. So he does live streams where he calls it, it's a weird show. And it's just him performing. I mean, he's not a big artist, so, but he does have like some lights and it's, it's like a whole production. Um, and I just, you know, really enjoyed that just because, I mean, me, I was, before the pandemic, I love to go to concerts and all that and listen to music, see artists perform live. And then that was a big thing, I think, right afterwards, like, oh, I don't have this thing that I really enjoy. Right. But these artists jumping onto live streams and in a way, sometimes they connect a little bit more with the people viewing the streams, which is, you know, kind of awesome, like a better way to interact with their fans. Yeah, I, I think some find them very engaging and some find them awkward. But I, I think if you're doing it right, there is a way to make it more engaging than a traditional performance. I don't think that's necessarily easy to do, but I think there is a way to do it. And are you discovering them mostly via bands in town? No, I usually find things off of uh, Instagram. That's where Hari promoted his, you know, live streams. And from there on, following other artists, they've also promoted their stuff on there. I mean, because Instagram for me is my main social media. So, and then they also like add clips to previous live streams and they'll let you know when the next one is. So you're like, oh, this looks great. I want to check out the next one. So, I mean, I truly love live streams and i know hopefully it's something that artists run with and continue to run with for a while after the pandemic comes back to normal. I, I think i mean it's hard to say anything definitively but i think it, yeah. i think it will happen i think it's completely normalized it and sped up the uh the rate at which fans were willing to do it and and to be fair i don't think that's specific to music too i think the same will exist in the film industry and, and other somewhat not tangential industries but similar industries that had similar problems that the live music industry faced. I wanted to move forward and talk about, I guess, there's the idea of if you go to law school, you are either going to become a transactional lawyer or litigator. And that's not always the case. Um, you became, a, you know, worked on the business side and became a senior executive. Has your law degree helped you in your role when it comes to like merchandising and ticketing and, you know, fan club engagement? And has it been different here as well compared to, you know, abroad? I, I would say that's a bit of a challenging, eh, maybe it's not that challenging. It's an interesting and maybe a layered question to answer. I think law school, what, what year are you in? So I am currently one L. So I'm <laughs> just starting off. So you are just starting. I think law school by nature and I'm not sure if you've experienced this, but at least for me and, and for friends and colleagues of mine, makes you a more analytical person by nature. I, I think that's just one of the side benefits associated with the degree. I also think it makes you a better communicator, writer, your grammar improves, all those little kind of soft skills, I'd say that 
I don't think most people focus on probably past high school or maybe college to an extent. So I think the first one I mentioned in terms of just making me a more analytical person helps significantly in regards to A, marketing, and then B, deal analysis. And what what I mean by that is in terms of, you know, if we want to sign artist X to a merchandise deal, we do a very layered, in-depth approach to how we're going to value it from, from a cash flow perspective, from a rate of return perspective. And I think the degree helped me a lot with those things. And then, of course, there's the other side, which is by virtue of me having my degree and, and I'm licensed, but uh, I don't ever intend on practicing again. Who knows what happens, but I don't, but I still, I still keep my license current. And there's the other side of it as well, which is, you know, if I'm bringing in a deal or one of my colleagues, someone else on our team is bringing in a deal, I'm definitely more empowered to weigh in on the terms of those of the deal and the language associated with it by virtue of my degree. And I mean that in two contexts. I mean it one, because I just have more understanding and qualification of simple things. Well, things that to me and for you would be simple. And then two, just the overall perception of that anyone that went to law school knows how to do everything associated with any anything law related or any contract related, right? That exists everywhere. It exists in my daily life. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily know about trust in the states. And I, the only, actually, the only thing I remember about trust in the states was actually when I took it in law school and just random things around in test to see, which is not super interesting. So, but my point is, I think the degree has made me or the pedagogical nature of it made me more analytical. And then the degree has helped me just with the, with the transactional side. To be fair, though, when I did practice, although briefly, I was transactional. So I, I was working at a music entertainment firm that primarily represented artists and, and executives, I would say, mm-hmm. in their dealings with promoters, record companies, whatever else. So I had going back to the business side and running business development at Roadrunner, I went into that already having a pretty decent working knowledge of how the agreements were structured and laid out. And then when you couple that with having actually the business understanding of how the business lays out, I think that's a home run. And and I would advise anyone that wants to be a transactional attorney, irrespective of the industry, is to learn the way that a business works inside and out, separate from what the agreement says. Because what you'll find is that, and I saw this time and time again, I saw this on the law side when I was practicing, and then it was not exacerbated, it was highlighted when I was on the business side. And what I mean by that is there'll be terms in an agreement, specifically a merchandising agreement for that reason, that when you are an artist representative, you are protective of them mm-hmm. and you will ask for terms without really understanding what they mean. Here's a very random, probably overly specific example, but I saw it. In a merchandise deal, the way the arrangement works on a touring side is that this is very complicated and very nuanced is artist has an agent, agent books a show with a promoter, promoter rents out a venue venue sells your merchandise. So the artist is like X steps removed from that, but the agent negotiates with the promoter what percentage the venue takes of your sales. So, you know, one of the, not even law related, but the other question I get on a daily basis or why are t-shirts $40 a Madison Square Garden? And I can actually explain that to you, but either, either way, negotiating that, that percentage, that's the way it works. In a merchandise deal, 
the merchandise company, the merchandiser, will include language in a form agreement that says artists will use their best efforts to keep that rate as low as possible, right? When you're on the transactional side, you want to remove best efforts from everything and you don't want the artist to have to do anything. But fundamentally speaking, that situation only behooves them because the higher the rate is, they get screwed. The lower the rate is, everyone wins. So that might, I don't know if that entirely addresses your question, but I think in terms of having an understanding of both the legal side and the business understanding side significantly is beneficial, at least in my career, but also specifically, I think anyone that wants to get into a more transactional side, you need to understand the business that you're talking about. You need to understand the way things work. So you actually know what you're negotiating and you know, like that random example I just gave you, if you're the artist representative, you might feel like you're actually pushing on a point. And by virtue of that, you're maybe giving up on another point because you might be picking and choosing which ones you want to focus on, but you could be focused on the wrong one because you actually don't understand the practical implications of how the business works. That kind of leads me into my next question where you kind of spoke a little bit about it, but what advice would you give someone trying to pursue the career that that's similar to yours? And you spoke a little bit about it, like, you know, understand how the business works. Um, yeah, I, I would say definitely understand how the business works. And, and I think where this industry, the industry in which I'm in is different today than when I was, I don't want to presume, I know how old you are, but I presume you're younger <laughs> than me, versus how it was at the very least when I was in law school or when I was in college or university or whatever else, is that technology has made things so much easier. And what I mean by that is if you want to work in music, either on the law side or on the business side, never underestimate an artist or not even an artist, any industry anyone's desire to have somebody help them for free. And what I mean by that is I think it's very easy and self-serving, not self-serving, it's convenient for me to say, but I think it's relatively easy to find an artist that needs help in either understanding agreements and negotiating those agreements or somebody to provide them free services on the business side. So my point is, I think there's a lot of things that I'm currently doing or that I'm currently responsible for that you can learn yourself on how to do. Clearly, you need expertise and years of practice and engagement to really understand the ins and outs of things. But I do think there's a lot of stuff anyone could just start doing today. Anyone in law school could start doing today. You can help an artist read an agreement. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to understand everything, but that's what you have mentors and professors and you know the volunteer lawyer for the Arts Association, all of those things to help you with. So I would say if you want to be an entertainment attorney, if, if, that's, if that's the route person X wants to go, just reach out to artists because I guarantee you they'd want free help. And the same thing would be, be on the business side. You know, if you want to, if your favorite artist, you know, the rapper from Rhode Island you were talking about needs help on a merchandise deal or, 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 or to do it, it's easier than ever to build a Shopify store and connect it with a print-on-demand partner and, and, and roll that out while you're helping people for free and really kind of gaining experience at the same time. You know, when I'm hiring people, the best thing somebody could have is already have done the job. And, and that could be, you know, varying levels of how they've done it. But at the same time, there's a lot of stuff you can do today that you couldn't do 15 years ago or 20 years ago without somebody giving you a shot. And, and I think the industry probably still has a, a sense of nepotism to it, to an extent, but I think that's, become lessened by the ease of access to whether that's technology, information, or just understanding of how things work. So I, I would say 
you know, I think in the short answer is just do it yourself, like literally just start doing stuff because you can. Thank you for that. I mean, someone trying to get into the entertainment field, entertainment law, trying to get insight from industry professionals is always a big help. And I mean, listen, I would say for me specifically, I know for a fact, the reason I got the internship I had in law school, and then I ended up working there afterwards is because by the time I started there, I already had maybe six or seven years of business related experience associated with music, not on the law side, but on the music side. Now, some of that's a sales pitch, right? Some of that's the way you market yourself in terms of what you were doing and how broad the scale is to what you were doing. But if you want to be a transactional attorney and you go for that interview and you could say, and I've been helping these three artists and, or I've been working with a volunteer lawyer association, that's better than somebody that says, oh, I took entertainment law 101. So that's what I would say. If I can just leave you with one question, uh, just because we recently had an article on the blog, where do you see NFTs going in the music industry? They're here. They're going to be here for a little while, for sure. I'm, I'm having not more than 10, but more than five conversations on a daily basis with an artist about NFTs. Where I think they're going, I'm not sure if I entirely know. I think they're here for at least the foreseeable future. And, and then I think they might fizzle out. What I'm most interested in, artists actually leveraging what an NFT is capable of and utilizing the technology associated with it versus just selling something as an NFT that could have been a digital product, mm-hmm. let's just say. And because I think what you, you see in most industries, which I, I presume is not specific to music, is that artists like to be first. They want to be viewed, viewed as innovative. And, and I think by virtue of that, like there's going to be artists that are just going to launch the effective equivalent of liner notes bundled with a piece of vinyl. But it didn't necessarily need to be an NFT. And so I think the challenge is going to be for, for musicians to actually use it and leverage what it's capable of from a technology perspective in an interesting and innovative way. I, and I get asked a lot of questions recently about NFTs, like the Wu-Tang album that came out a few years ago, the mm-hmm. one of one, like that was the perfect, that would have been a perfect use case for, for an NFT. But to answer your question, there's going to be a lot of them. I think there's going to be a rapid fire for like the next six months. And then I think it'll slow down, but they're, they're going to be here for a little while. And to be honest, it actually raises a lot of really interesting questions, both from a, from a legal perspective, from a royalties perspective. And I hesitate to say my thoughts on that in a potentially public forum, but uh, it's very, they're very interesting in terms of where it could go. Thank you for that. It's just good to know like, what people think in the industry. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to be someone mainly dealing with that. Moment, so, yeah. Thank you again for taking the time to chat for me. And I appreciate your time and, you right. know, for our listeners, feel free to check out the Brooklyn Sports and Law Entertainment blog. Just check out interesting takes on you know legal analysis from students here at Brooklyn Law School. I think it's a great opportunity not only to learn a little bit, but also you know support your classmates. So again, thank you, Dan. Yeah, my pleasure. I can I, I, listen. If anyone wants to talk further, if I can help anyone, please don't hesitate to reach out.